In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the uh, first few verses here, uh, 1 to 3. And the question is, do I really need God? Now we can all say, okay, we do, let's go home. We know what's going on. But do I really need God? Now here's an interesting thing about that. Have you ever done a spiritual evaluation of yourself? Have you ever just done a sit down, God, how am I doing? Spiritual evaluation of yourself. Now, let me say this. When you do that, you're probably going to come out a little bit better than you really are. Right? And here's why. Look at this, what it says here in Psalm 36, 1 and 2. It says here, it says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to what? Detect or hate their sin. And so we flatter ourselves too much to detect how we really are. And that's scary to think about. But we can see the sins of others, but we're so flattered by ourselves, we think, wow, I'm so much better than so-and-so that we can't even detect or hate our own sin. And that happens to every one of us. I, I heard the illustration of three guys went to see the doctor. The doctor told them the same thing to all three guys. You're not eating right. You're not exercising. You're smoking too much. Your heart is failing. If you don't get surgery in a year, you're going to die. Same, same thing to all three of them. The first one goes like this. You're judging me. You're, ju- you're, just, you're just mad because I don't eat, right? You're just mad because I smoke and you're mad. I, 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 I'm out of here. And he walks out of the office. The second guy goes to the doctor and says, I can't believe you said I feel great. I feel absolutely great. I'm going to another doctor that tells me that I feel great. I feel great. The third one goes, wow, doc, I didn't really want to hear that. It really, but you're right. Let's get surgery. I want to live. That's how people come to God's word when he tells them how they really are. Some get mad. Nah, I'm not like that. I'm out of here. He's just judging me. God, I'm out of here. Others say, I'm doing great, God. I feel great. You know, I don't, want, I don't want to hear. And others say, you know what, God? Thank you for telling me how I am. I need you. I accept you as my Savior. Three responses we can have. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, it is going to tell us who we are before God. We're not going to take a blood test to find out how we are. We're going to take a Bible test. And in the Bible test, we're going to see some things that we are. But this is what makes it. We need to see who we are to really see our need for Christ and how wonderful he is. Let's look at this passage and see who we are and how how God is and how he intervenes that. Notice in verse 1, do I really need God? Notice what he says. We were dead. Dead. Now listen to this. And you were what? Say the word. Dead. Dead, Because if there's any dead people here, they're not going to say dead. Dead. In your trespasses and sins. You say, what does it mean to be dead? It means to be cut off from the life of God. I've, I've done a lot of funerals. I don't know how many. I've never counted how many funerals. 
I had to be careful when I was younger. I like to tell jokes a lot. You know that. I like to tell jokes everywhere. And I'm at this funeral and I'm just cracking it up. I'm just, and this pastor goes, stop. Jeremy, this is not the place to be. I was 20. I just got saved. I'm 21. I'm at this funeral. Everyone's crying around me. And I'm like, hey, did you hear the one about this? And that? Not the place to do it. I've cracked some jokes at funerals. In the funerals. Because I know the people I can crack jokes. You know what? Not once in all the jokes I've ever cracked at a funeral and said something. There were some good ones too. You know, all the ones that I've said. Not once did the corpse ever jump up and say, that was a good one. Never once responded to me. Never once tear came down the aisle when I told the story. A nice, warm, touching story. Dead means what? Dead. It means unresponsive. It means cut off from the life of God. It means non-relational. It means corrupting. It means they won't respond. It means they're powerless. Think about that for a moment. But what it doesn't mean is we're going to see here in a moment. Look at this, what it says here in Ephesians 4.18. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. That's dead. They're excluded from the life of God. They are not sensitive to spiritual matters. Just like a person who is physically dead does not respond to physical stimuli. A dead person spiritually does not respond to spiritual stuff. Think about that for a moment. We were dead. Excluded from the life of God. Now somebody will say, well, dead, dead. What do you mean dead? I was dead. I wasn't a terrible person. You were dead in, look what it says in the text. Dead in your trespasses and sins in the false steps that we take. Trespasses, the false steps, we're not in the right step with God. And sins is we're missing the mark. If you ever gone shooting with somebody and you see the target out there and you shoot at the target and you miss the target, that's sin. You're missing the mark. You're missing what God would want out of your life. So the false steps, the acts of missing the mark, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. Now somebody says, but I wasn't a terrible person. Dead does not mean terrible. All right? There is some really good dead people out there. I mean, who do amazingly good things. Tom Brady is one of them. Seven Super Bowls. I hate the guy. But you know what? I shouldn't say that, right? I love everybody, but he bothers me. Seven Super Bowls. And what is he doing at the Super Bowl parade? The very next, when he gets to the Super Bowl parade, they have to hold him up because he's so drunk he can't even walk. Dead does not mean terrible. In fact, there's, there's a lot of people who achieve a lot of good things in this world, but they're excluded from the life of God. I heard it best. The best illustration I ever heard of this was, was an owner that had two tenants. And he said to him, you know what? I'm not going to charge you that much. You can have my apartments. All I want you to do is to respond to my emails, call me up and talk to me every now and then. That's all I ask. So he goes away for two years. He sends emails out, all this. And he goes away, comes back. One of the guys 
was smoking pot all the time, burnt the furniture, raided the... I mean, he just... The apartment was terrible. It was in terrible condition. Lamps were burnt. This was all burnt. Furniture was burnt. He sm the place smelled like marijuana. He comes back. The other guy cleaned the place. He was amazingly immaculate. Cleaned the whole joint. Everything was so beautiful. The owner comes back and says to both of them, get out. The guy says, but I cleaned the apartment. What do you mean? The other guy smoked. He goes, no, no, you missed the whole point. I sent you emails. You never responded. I called you. You never called. You never had a relationship with me. Same thing with people in this world. They're dead. They try to keep their lives clean, try to do all this, but they never have a relationship with God. And then there's some people who are dead who really show that they're dead. And their decay is horrible. But both are dead. Both are dead. We were dead. It doesn't mean we were terrible. Some are decaying more than others. Some, you can see the decay in their lives more than others. Others you can't, but we're both spiritually dead. We were dead, non-responsive to God. You say, well, give me some good news. I'm going to give it to you in a moment. Not only were we dead, look what else it says. We were disobedient. We have a trinity of tyrants against us. Watch this here in verses 2 and 3. This is amazing. We have a trinity of tyrants here. We have the world, which is an external cultural tyrant. And we have the devil, which is a hostile supernatural one. And then, if that isn't hard enough, we have the flesh that we fight, an internal compulsive one that is inside of us. Now watch how this all works. He says here in verse 2, he says, in which you formerly walked. So this was the pattern of our lives. This is how we were going. This is, this is what we were doing. We were formerly walking. Some worse than others, but we were all going in that direction. In the course of this world. You say, what does that mean? It means we were all worldly. Now, if you ask an Amish person what worldliness is, you know what they're going to tell you what worldliness is? Cell phones, electronics, automobiles. That's worldly people. If you ask a fundamental, I used to be in a fundamental Baptist mission board and all that. If you ask them what worldliness is, you want to know what they're going to tell you? Playing cards going to the movie theater, doing all these things, that's worldliness, right? So everyone has a definition of worldliness and what it is. You can get through all the extremes. Of, you use a cell phone, you're worldly. You go to the movies, you're worldly. You play playing card, you're worldly. Everyone wants to throw that, but that's not, they missed the point. What is worldliness? Here's what worldliness is. Worldliness is, is when sin seems acceptable and righteousness seems strange. And we live in that world. Where, man, I think of the things that I saw as a kid in school, that kids now in school see, it was nothing compared to what they see now. But that stuff is acceptable. So David is now Diana. And yet, still David. But you got to call him Diana because he doesn't want to be a boy anymore. He wants to be a girl. And that's acceptable. It's strange if you say, wait a minute, you were born a David. Guess what? God made you David. God loves you, David. He didn't make a mistake, David. You are David. Yet, no, that's strange to say that. We have this external pressure upon us to make sin acceptable. 
And righteousness is strange. And here's where it gets hard. Not only are people in the world who are dead in their sins, there are believers today who buy into this. And say, you know what? Yeah, so, Diane. Let's call it Diane. We don't want to hurt the feelings. Let's call Diana. Let's not, let's not, let's not rock the boat. And all of a sudden, you're the strange one when you say, no, I'm going to call David, David. And so the world is that. The culture is getting us that way. It's the external pressure upon the culture to stop doing what we're doing and start living as they are living. And not only that, notice what else the culture does. We become horizontal rather than vertical in our living. Or as one person put it, we become preoccupied with temporal matters. That's worldliness. Our values become temporal. Our goals become temporal. Our whole lives become about temporal matters that won't mean anything in all eternity. You think we're going to be talking about who won the Super Bowl in eternity? Not unless the Giants win, we're not. We're just not because it means nothing. It means nothing. We're going to be talking about baseball and Aaron Judge and all his home runs and all that. We're not going to be talking about that stuff. And we're talking about all these things that just take our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our values, all get wrapped up into that stuff. And we become preoccupied that we can't even think straight. We can't even act straight because of the world, that external pressure upon us. You say, wow, is that something that's, look what else we have. It isn't that bad enough. It says, in which you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Look at this here in verse 2. It says, which you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. It's talking about the devil himself. And the spirit that's now, and, and look at that word, working in the sons of disobedience. Energizing is the word. Not saying that everyone in the world is demon possessed. Be careful with that one. But it is saying this, that the devil is energizing. He's feeding them lies and they are biting it and they're believing it and they're living them. Wow. Think about that for a moment. I think of all the lies that people are saying these days and the lies on the media and the lies here and the lies there. And all of a sudden I think, wow, the devil is inflaming those lies. And they're believing it. He's telling them, you can't believe God's word. Written by man. Don't believe God's word. You can't believe there's only one way to salvation. Don't believe that. You can't believe that Jesus Christ satisfies alone. Go out and get your stuff that needs to satisfy. They're believing the lies of that he is energizing them. Sometimes we get so upset at the people. Like, How can they say that stuff? How can they believe that stuff? He, the devil's behind them just energizing them. That gives me more compassion for them. Because when I think they didn't come up with that lie, the devil did. They're just believing it. They're just living it out. They're just saying things that he is. And every time somebody lies, they're imitating the father of lies. The devil. 
He's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working. And notice this, in the sons of disobedience. Here's what's interesting, because he uses that phrase, sons of, of disobedience, later on. And it really talks about people who are gossiping, people who are foolish talk, people who are living in immoral, immorality. The devil is inflaming all that stuff. You say, wow, Jeremy, does it get any worse than that? Yes, it does. Look in the mirror. We got another enemy. Some of you, your enemy's very, very beautiful, like mine. Others of you, the enemy's not as cute. But if you look in the, look in the mirror, you're going to find your number one enemy. In fact, if you can kick your number one enemy in the seat of the pants, you wouldn't be able to sit for a week. Look at this. In which you formerly walked, the sons of disobedience, look at this, the flesh... Among them, we too, don't miss the next word in there. What does it say? All of us. No one's excluded from this. We too, all, all of us, formerly lived where? In the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, now, some people look at this and they say, oh, he's just talking about sexual sins here. No, he's not. In fact, if you've ever read a convicting book and you want a convicting book, read Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Have you ever read that one? That one is, I want to throw that out, rip it off. I mean, I hate the book because it just convicts you about everything. He talks about respectable sins like irritability. Anybody get irritable? Couple people, don't worry, I'm gonna preach a long time. You're gonna get irritable today. You get irritable? How about impatient? Anybody get impatient? Get mad? How about things like pride, foolishness, foolish talk? How about frustration? He talks about discontentment in his book, unthankfulness in his book. We live in these sins. But we don't do the biggies, so we're okay. When he talks about the sins of the flesh, they're not limited to sensual sins, but, they're, but they include the sins such as anger, pride, and jealousy. Our beautiful daughter was five months old when she threw her first temper tantrum. Five months old. I don't know if Johnny was younger than that, but I don't remember that. I just remember being shocked. That this beautiful angel that came out, beautiful thing that looks just like me. That was just an amazing, not one amen, not even from her, but you know, an amazing thing. Just how sweet she was and the joy that she brought me in her first smile. You remember the first smile of your kid? I mean, I couldn't believe it. Then I found out it was gas. But anyway, the first smile. I mean, I thought she really loved me. I'm like, hey, booka, 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 but she had gas. But anyway, you know, you know, the first smile. I mean, everything is beautiful. You're like, wow, this is my kid, my 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 joy. My, she came for me. This is amazing. And then five months old, ah, what happened to her? I'll tell you what happened to her. She was born with a sin nature. And it manifests itself at a very, very early age. Now, we were with somebody that told us to spank her. I said, I don't know if I could spank a five-month-old. I don't think we go that far. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't think she didn't. But boy, oh boy, I wanted to. And then my flesh was coming out. Irritability, <laughs> impatience. There's a chain reaction. 
But let me tell you something. We all have it. Some show it more than others. But let me tell you what the Bible says about us in Titus 3.3. It says, For we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That was us. Some to more extreme than others. This is our lives. We're born dead spiritually. We're born and then it shows ourselves in disobedience as what? As we conform to the world. As, as, as the devil, we believe his lies. And as the flesh manifests itself in different ways. This is an amazing truth about ourselves. You say, why do we have to see this thing? What happens to somebody who's born like this? What happens to somebody who's born, who's dead, who's disobedient, who, who, who later, as we're going to see right here in verse 3, look at this. As we formerly lived, we're not only dead, we're disobedient. Look at this next thing. We were, and don't miss this, doomed. You say, what does that mean? Look what the text says. This is an incredible text. It says, among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of what? I was reading this and studying this, and sometimes when I study the Bible, it just stops me. As I meditate and think, wow, is this really saying what it is saying? We are children of what? Wrath. Now, I know in some places they're going to say this. Um, it's interesting. The cell phone is funny. I got a story about that. Somebody says if in the church, I think I told this one before, if the cell phone rings during uh, the singing service, you have to put 10 extra bucks in the offering. <laughs> If the cell phone rings during the message, you're going to hell. <laughs> All right, but that's not true in this church. But anyway, isn't it amazing talking about this? But look at this here. Think about this for a moment. Children of wrath. Watch this. He is talking about this. Hell is for real. Now, we can play games with this word hell in the Bible and change all different things about hell and make it like it's not anything to be worried about. Or don't worry, God loves you. He'll never send anyone to hell or it's just annihilation. And don't worry, you're just going to be cease to exist. That's not the hell of the Bible. You study the hell of the Bible, it will stop you in your tracks. You will realize how uh, incredible it is. You don't want anyone to go there. And you think, I was going there. The hell of the Bible is a real place. Look how it's described in Mark 9.48. It's a place where the worms don't die and the fire is not quenched. You know what it's saying there? It's a place, can you imagine having bugs in your stomach, eating your intestines like maggots in your stomach, eating that inner anguish that you have, that, that, that something's going on in there. And then imagine being out in the sun and the sun is beating on you, but there's no water, there's no shade, no, not, no relief at all. And you just have this outward anguish. So there's this inner anguish, outward anguish. Hell is for real. Now imagine that for eternity. A place of a conscious, place of torment. One person said it this way. 
Hell is a place of utter despair. It's a place of utter regret. Why didn't I accept Christ when I had time? And it's a place of torment. And if that doesn't make you shake and realize where people are going, I don't know what will. I remember we were at a a men's retreat one time and Pastor Hammonds was leading us. There's the fire going, you know, as you have as a men's retreat. And he's looking at the fire and he's just staring at it. And he says, men, I was headed there. I was going to the fire. I was going to hell. And Christ saved me. When we realize that, we will realize how wonderful our Savior is. But there are people who cheapen hell. They cheapen what it really is. And they say, don't worry, it's just this little thing where you suffer for a little bit. They don't, and, and they just cheapen it. Or they say, don't worry, we can actually, people can buy you out of it when you go. So don't worry if you don't. I remember at my dad's funeral, people were paying to get him out of hell. You can't do that. Hell is for real and it is eternal. And we were by nature, what? Children of wrath. That's where we were headed. Now the story would be horrible if it ended there. But look what it says. But God. But God. We're going to study next week. I can't wait to study. But God. But God what? But God was rich in mercy. But God was what? Great in love. But God, what did he do? He was rich in grace. But God, what? He was kind in Christ. We're going to see what God did. I like how one person put it. Christ didn't come into the world just to, just to set some people free or to come into the world to wake sleepy people up or to, 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 to help confuse people or, or to be with the wounded people. Christ came into the world to raise people up from their spiritual deadness. That's our God, but Christ. Kind in Christ. And we'll never see that until we realize just how bad we are. I remember when I found out my father was sick in 1992. And my dad was a bodybuilder. He was pretty big, lifted weights a lot. Well, he was in jail for many years, so he could lift weights. He had nothing else to do. And he came out of jail and he was ripped to shreds. But he... Because of his disease, his body started to go waste away, down away. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Jeremy, he says, I didn't realize how bad I was until I looked in the mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw my body was fading away and my body was going down and my body wasn't the same. And I said, wow, I'm going to die. I'm in trouble. You see, until we look at the scriptures and see how bad we really are, we're never going to call out for our Savior. We're in trouble. Not because we're terrible people. We're in trouble because we were born that way. Thank you, Adam. Not any Adam here, but Adam, Adam and Eve. And because of his sin that spread on to everyone, we all die. And we all deserve hell. This week somebody died. 
His name was what? Do you remember? Rush Limbaugh. Listen to this. Rush Limbaugh, I don't know if you know this, 20 million people a week would listen to him. 600 different radio stations. He made $85 million a year. He was hated by the left. He got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. But here's what's interesting. A lot of people, they bring this out now because he's dead. He, he was a drug addict, and he was. He was addicted to painkillers. They bring out he had multiple marriages and failed marriages, and they bring that out too as well, and a lot of things that he did that was wrong. But when people asked him, Rush, what was your secret? He had that one line that said, talent on loan from God. But listen to this. In October 19th of last year, he gave... Um, one of his radio stations, he mentioned this. He realized that his life was under a death sentence. And I'm quoting him, under a death sentence. He said, it's tough to realize that the days where I do not think I'm under a death sentence are over. Now, we all are, is the point. He's preaching. We all are under a death sentence. We all know that we're going to die at some point, but when you have a terminal disease diagnosis that that has a time frame to it, then that puts a different psychological and even physical awareness to it. You know, I wake up every day and thank God that I did. I go to bed every night praying I'm going to wake up. I don't know how many of you do that. Those of you who are not sick, those of you who are not facing something like I and countless other millions are, But it's a blessing when you wake up. It's a stop everything and thank God moment. And every day thus results in me feeling more and more blessed hearing from you, knowing that you're out there praying and everything else you're doing. That is a blessing. It's a series of blessings. And I'm grateful to be able to come here to the studio, tell you about it and really maintain as much normalcy as I can. Now listen to this. I know a lot of you out there are going through your own challenges, whether it's cancer or another medical illness or some other life uh, challenge, maybe even in the hospital right now. Someone told me, I think this is good advice, maybe helpful. The only thing that any of us are certain of is right now, today. That's all we have. That's why I thank God every morning when I wake up. I thank God that I did. I try my, I try to make it the best day I can, no matter what. I love this advice. I don't look too far ahead. I don't look too far back. But then here it comes. I try to remain committed to the idea what's supposed to happen will happen and is meant to. And I mentioned at the outset of this, the first day I told you, that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He hadn't always lived it. But God got his attention. Because he realized he was under a death sentence. We don't know how long we have. But what we do know is when we're born into this world, we are dead spiritually, excluded from the life of God. What we know is we have those three enemies and we are fighting those three enemies in our life. And what we do know is that we are deserving of hell. But here's what else we know. 
Jesus Christ came. He left his glory. He came down, lived a perfect life on this earth. He died in our place for all our sins, past, present, and future. And he was buried and he rose again. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon him will be saved. We know that. And we know when we have a personal relationship with him, death is not the end. It's just a comma. We go on living with him forever in paradise. We will never thank God for what we have until we realize what we deserve. So let me ask you this question. Do you realize how much you need God? Are you going to be like the first patient and just, I'm out of here. What am I, dead? This will be, I get out, I'm out of here. Well, the second one, I feel great. I'm doing great. I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing great. Well, the third one that says, wow, that was me. Thank you for telling me I accept Christ now. I want to be a believer in Christ. It's your choice. Let's pray. Father, we, wow, what a passage. Lord, I don't think that any of us really realize how bad we were. I'm not talking about the bad things we did, but just how deserving we are of the pit of hell. Born excluded from the life of you, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, believing his lies, Indulging in the flesh and some worse than others. But all of us deal with it. And by nature, children of wrath. Deserving of the eternal place of torment. But you. You intervened through Christ. We owe all to him. And so, Father, help us to realize that today. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that still hasn't put their trust alone in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they would not point to themselves to get to heaven or try to think that they're good enough to get there because they're not. None of us are. That they would point to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And then, Father, I pray for those who have already made that decision to realize just how blessed we are. And that, God, that we would live and wake up each moment and say, thank you, God, for getting me up today. (laughs) And live, Lord, for you with all that we have in the day. Because tomorrow is not promised. And Lord, maybe some have heard the doctor say you only got a certain time. Most of us haven't heard that, but we know through the scriptures that our days are numbered. So help us to live with grateful hearts. Why would you ever want us? But you do. Thank you for that. And we want to give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' precious holy, wonderful, amazing name, we pray.
Amen. Would you stand with us as we finish our service? This song is called Death Wizard.